So Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week. This is a, a pleasant time for many and a painful time for, for others as well. Just being re, reminded of those who either aren't present at the table or maybe those who are present having conflict and animosity, uh, hurt, uh, with those who are present at the table. Uh, or, um, so there's, there's a number of, um, joys and challenges that come with, with this week in Thanksgiving and around, <clears throat> around the dinner table, uh, throughout this country, there are going to be lots of conversations, conversations about sports, conversations about politics, conversations about uh, jobs and business and life and health and how things are going. There's going to be all kinds of conversations. And one of the elements that's going to be present in many of those conversations is boasting, right? Boasting. We, we have a tendency to boast about accomplishments. Thank you for whoever took care of that. Um, all right. We, we have a tendency to, to boast. We're wired to boast. And, in, in, in our, in our flesh, we have a tendency to boast about how, how awesome we think we are, or what we've accomplished, or what we've experienced, or what we've seen. But the Bible teaches us that if we're going to boast, that our boast should be Christ-centered. It shouldn't be to exalt ourselves and make ourselves look great. It should be to exalt God and highlight what He has done. And what we see the Apostle Paul doing is he is engaging in the book of Corinthians. He's engaging a culture that is saturated with arrogant boasting. Okay, does that sound familiar to, to our culture? Um, he's, he's engaging a culture that's been saturated with arrogant boasting about gifting, about skills, about accomplishments and credentials. And he kind of stoops down to their level a bit. But he does it purposefully to turn arrogant boasting on its head and show believers, the Corinthian believers, how to do it correctly. Namely, to boast in our weaknesses and to boast in Christ. We have titled this series, we've been journeying through the book of Second Corinthians and we've titled this Power in Weakness. And in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see that theme highlighted once again, that God shows his power, fits his power in and through human weakness so that he might display his glory through us. I've titled this message, Boasting in Weakness. Okay, boasting in weakness. Imagine if you around the dinner table with family this week. We're to engage in boasting in weakness. To talk about, instead of talking about accomplishments and strengths and, and, and amazing things that have happened, to, to spend some time acknowledging some struggles and some weaknesses that you've had throughout the year. It goes against the grain of our human nature, doesn't it? We have a tendency to cover our weaknesses and hide our weaknesses and talk about those things that we feel most comfortable and talking about, but there has to be a healthy way, of course, to talk about the good things in our life with our family and our friends and be able to celebrate those things. And so the Apostle Paul gives us some insight in how to do that. So if you all would stand with me as we read Second Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going through chapter 12, verse 10. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think of me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, and being wise yourselves. For you, for, for you bear, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you and devours you and takes advantage of you and puts on airs 
or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we are too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews and the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches who is weak or and I am not weak, who is made to fall and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Arteris was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window and the wall escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that he cannot be, that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on behalf of, on, on behalf on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I will, if I should, I w- though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Father, as we look at this powerful theme and truth in your word today, I pray that you would fill us Fill us with your perspective and fill us with your power. May we put on display the beauty and the glory of Jesus. May you be exalted here. Work through my weakness as a preacher and help me to get out of the way and decrease. And may you increase through me. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God calls his people to eliminate arrogant boasting and instead boast in their weakness so that his power can be put on display. God calls his people to eliminate arrogant boasting and instead boast in their weakness so that his power can be put on display. Now, Paul uses within this, this chapter in chapter 11 and then, uh, 
uh, in, into 12, he, he starts to boast, but he does it a little bit differently than the, the average Corinthian or the super apostles would boast. He did it, he did it with irony. Now, first of all, and, and, and he also makes several statements. He may, at least three times he says, I'm speaking foolishly. I'm speaking as a madman. Okay. So he wants, he wants the Corinthians to perceive that he is speaking foolishly and he wants to highlight that boasting according to the flesh is foolish. Boasting according to the flesh is foolish. I'm sure we've all been in the presence of proud boasting. And, and it, 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 it turns us off, doesn't it? It makes us want to shut down or put up some walls. Right. And then I'm sure we've all been guilty of proud boasting ourselves. I know for me, sometimes it it comes afterwards, maybe when I'm taking a shower or or doing something where I'm reflecting and I remember some things that I said. And I have this this thought like, oh, I can't believe I said that. That was so arrogant. That was so proud. Now, being a a preacher, I get a lot more opportunities for those moments. Sometimes it's in my sermon that that happens and it makes it even worse. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that. We all have had those moments because pride lurks within the human heart. And from that pride, we tend to boast about our accomplishments and boast about our resume and boast about our successes. And so this was the culture of the Corinthian, um, uh, of the Corinthians, and there were leaders who were who were um, seeking to lead, uh, seeking to influence the Corinthian church, and Paul was resisting their ungodly influence and their ungodly values that they were influencing the Corinthian church with. And so Paul ironically starts speaking here, and, and he doesn't he doesn't do it with. Um, he doesn't boast about his successes. He boasts about his sufferings. Um, one theologian says this, that, that irony allows him to speak like a fool in his own defense, saying things that must be said, but which he could not say in proper persona. So he's using irony here. As he starts to, to boast and he's engaging at the level of the Corinthian leaders in boasting. And he's going against the grain of who God, who Christ had made him to be as a leader. As Matthew Henry says, he says, as much against the grain as it is for a proud man to acknowledge his infirmities, so much is it against the grain for a humble man to speak of his own praise. I'll read it again. As much against the grain as it is for a proud man to, to acknowledge his infirmities, so much is it against the grain for a humble man to speak of his own praise. I think this was true of Paul. He was, he was going against the grain of, of his, his, uh, of his godly training that he received from Jesus to engage in this foolish boasting, but he's trying to make a point. That arrogant boasting is foolishness, and we should avoid it. We should eliminate it. We should address it with a biblical perspective. We also see here in the in chapter eleven that Paul's boast was focused on his suffering. Okay, now imagine if you were applying for a job. Okay, and on your resume. You listed things that you knew the employer does not look favorably upon, like imprisonment. <laughs> That's one of, one of the apostle Paul's. Imprisonment, right? You're like, well, I'll leave that one out and I won't bring it up unless they ask me. Alright, we're gonna show the strength, we're gonna show the strong side, we're gonna show the good qualities, right? Imprisonment, beatings, stoning, and this, this did not have to do with marijuana, this had to do with rocks. Shipwreck. Specific dangers, volitional suffering that Paul subjected himself to. And, and one of the greatest pains was the pastoral art, heartache that he felt for the churches. His concern about the, the spiritual well-being 
of the churches that, that he had started, the spiritual children that he had in, in his, his care for them. But Paul's boast didn't focus on his successes. They focused, he focused on his sufferings. And so he's countering the common boast of the Corinthians. The, the common boast of the, the quote, super apostles, those who seemed super spiritual and triumphalistic about their, their Christianity. And he goes through this list of, of struggles that he went through. And, and Luke in the book of Acts names, uh, several of these sufferings. And, and Luke also highlights that Jesus told Ananias, the guy who would pray for Saul after he became a Christian and later became Paul, Jesus told him that I will show this guy, Paul, Saul, how much he will suffer for my name's sake. And Paul's listing some of, some of those things. This was a part of the journey for the apostle Paul that Jesus had chosen for him. A life of hardship. A life of difficulty. Now the thing is, is this was despised in the Corinthian culture. This is not what success looks like to Corinthian leadership that would not make the top seller in, in their books on leadership in, in the Corinthian culture, nor I, do I think it would make it today in the top sellers in our bookstores. And so Paul describes these difficulties that he went through. And, he's, and, he, and he says, I'm speaking as a fool here, though. And then, you know, he could have pulled up like he did in, in the book of Philippians. He could have pulled up his religious resume. Okay. Um, in, in Philippians chapter three, and as he's addressing, um, uh, Judaizers and those who would put confidence in the flesh, he says, he says this, Philippians three verse four, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay. Circumcised of the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But notice this comment here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, when Paul met Jesus, it changed the entire trajectory of his life and his value system got flipped on its head. It got turned upside down or right side up, so to speak, right? Because he began to take on the value system of King Jesus, the value system of the kingdom of God, the value of humility, the value of truth. The value of love, as we talked about last week, that true authority comes to us and is marked by humility, truth, and love. We see that in the person of Jesus. We see this in his representative, the Apostle Paul. But Paul said he counted all those things as loss for the sake of Christ. All these things gave Paul no footing and no boost for acceptance with Jesus. And, 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 and spiritual status and position with Jesus. If anything, these things could become a hindrance because one might look to these to trust in this righteousness rather than the righteousness of Christ. And Paul said he, he was trusting in, in Christ as his righteousness. D.A. Carson writes about what an expected boast might look like, what what the Corinthian leadership uh, super apostles might expect of him to boast, say about himself as according to their standards. He might have said something like this. I've established more churches. I've preached the gospel in more lands or to more and to more ethnic groups. I've traveled more miles. I've won more converts. I've written more books. I've raised more money. I've I've dominated more councils. I've walked with God more fervently and seen more visions. I've commanded the greatest crowds and performed the most spectacular miracles. I'm glad he didn't say those things. Instead, he speaks about his sufferings and he speaks about his weakness. And he says, this is I'm, I'm going to focus on boasting in my weakness because that's how we boast in the Lord. That's how we put the spotlight 
on him and make it about him and not about us. You know, there's been, there's been times as a, as a worship leader and, and Jenny got to, to lead well through this this morning and just with her, struggling with her voice and sickness stuff. Um, just humbly, and I appreciate your, your tender, tenderness and humility in leading. Um, but there's been times as a worship leader where I have just totally missed it on a song and totally missed the melody, the key, broke a guitar string and have just kind of felt embarrassed in the moment. Like, oh, that, that didn't sound good or that didn't feel good. There's been times as a preacher, many times as a preacher, where I just feel like I totally botched that one up, right? And and in those moments, as a worship leader or a preacher or whatever area of, of service that I'm serving in, in those moments, it's good for me to experience a bit of deflation of my ego and be reminded in those moments, it's not about me. It's about Jesus, it's about him. It's about exalting him, whether I look good or sound good or whether I appear to be strong or smart or gifted or disciplined. It's not about me. It's about him. And so the apostle Paul aimed to put the spotlight on Jesus, whether he lived or whether he died. His aim was to glorify Christ, to magnify Jesus. Notice in, at the end of chapter 11, it says that Damascus, uh, at Damascus, the governor under King Art, Artis was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul's describing his, his getaway, his, his running away from, from danger here. And, uh, D.A. Carson points this out. The, the picture here of, the Corona Moralis, the walled crown, was the ancient equivalent of the Victoria Cross or the Medal of Honor. The highest of honors was given to the first guy to scale the wall when attacking a city. But Paul doesn't boast about being first up the wall, but being first down it. The man who had access to the highest officials in Jerusalem slunk out of Damascus like a criminal, lowered like a catch of dead fish in a basket whose smelly cargo he displayed. Philip Hughes says this. He says that the man who experienced an ineffable ascent even to the third heaven was the same man who had experienced the undistinguished descent from a window in the wall, in the Damascus wall. So we go on to chapter 12 and we see the Apostle Paul moving into spiritual experiences, visions, because the Corinthians thought very highly of these experiences, dreams and visions and, ex and spiritual experiences. So Paul was going to meet them at their level and, and talk a little bit about that, but redirect the boast to his weakness and redirect the boast to how God brought about humility in his life. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know of a man in Christ who for, who for 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Oh, I think I repeated that there. Um, so notice here that the Apostle Paul feels uncomfortable. It seems that he feels uncomfortable. He's going against the grain and talking about this in the first person that he switches over to the third person. He's like, I know a guy who had some pretty powerful experiences, right? So he's going there. And he, and he starts talking about these experiences. In verse 4, he says, And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Okay? On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Notice he's redirecting the boast to the weaknesses. 
He didn't go into, he wasn't permitted to talk about what he saw. One, he didn't, he couldn't, he couldn't uh, effectively communicate what he experienced in detail and he wasn't permitted. It wasn't for everyone else. This experience that the apostle Paul had was to strengthen him, not to, to show off and impress other people with, with his deep spirituality. This experience was for him and to strengthen him. And nor did the Apostle Paul want the false apostles and teachers to, to be validated in the use of their experiences with God as the basis of their authority. Okay? Because we all have our journey with God and we experience God in, in different ways and sometimes we think we're experiencing God and it may be we're experiencing the demonic or, or some evil thing, right? And sometimes we get confused about our experiences can be subjective. They are subjective to the truth of scripture. Okay. And the apostle Paul didn't want the, the trust of the, uh, the Corinthians to be merely based upon Paul's uh, visions or revelation. And he didn't want their trust in these false apostles and teachers to be based upon their their profound spiritual experiences. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he called people to believe it. To surrender to it. To live their lives in accordance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, we also see through this, this passage that boasting in our weakness is God honoring. And it is the path to power. Boasting in our weakness is God honoring and it's the path to power. It doesn't make sense how you and I can experience power and strength, God's power working through us by acknowledging and boasting in our weaknesses, right? There's a paradox there, right? It doesn't make sense. On behalf of this man, he says, I will boast, on the, I will boast, but on behalf of my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Go, go to verse 9 and he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. And so I, I don't think when Paul was talking about boasting in his weakness, I don't think he was teaching that the self-loathing and that we're to put ourselves down lower than what God says about us. Right, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less, as one theologian said, right? And so God wants us to be freed up to be able to talk about our weaknesses and honor Him through it because we know that one, He's our source of righteousness and He is our source of strength and power. And it's when we accept and acknowledge and boast in our weaknesses that we experience the power of Christ resting upon us like the Apostle Paul experienced. Now, I must say, it's uncomfortable to be that vulnerable with anybody. It's even more uncomfortable to be that vulnerable with a lot of people at one time as you're trying to lead people, right? But this is what the Apostle Paul did. He talked about his sufferings. He talked about his weakness. And this is important because we, we live in, just like the Corinthians, in a power craving, power hungry culture, right? Political power, right? Um, influence, social media power, power with money, right? All, we, we, we live in a culture that, that is grasping for power. It was Lord Acton who said, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Lord Acton was a Roman Catholic in 19, in 1870 who strongly opposed the decision of the First Vatican Council to attribute infallibil infallibility to the Pope. Sorry about, for that. <laughs> Sorry for that typo. But I enjoy the comic relief. There's my weakness shining through. I have typos and I have speech flaws. Thank God I'm married to a speech pathologist who helps me with those typos and my, and my, my speech, um, issues, impediments. 
He saw it as, he saw, he saw this move as power corrupting the church. He saw this move as power corrupting the church, right? And so this is important for us that we get a biblical perspective on power, on, on uh, authority, right? And that ultimately as Christians, we are submitted to and in, in line with the authority of Jesus Christ, right? And, and here he was, he was resisting and, 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 um, opposing the corruption within the Roman Catholic Church. Now, as Christians, we believe that the Bible, the scripture is infallible, that the scripture is true, that the scripture is reliable. And this was a really big deal in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s because of the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church. And so the, the, the Protestant reformers, they went back to scripture and they emphasized that scripture alone has the highest authority, not the Pope. And so they opposed some of these, these un, ungodly, un, to, these toxic beliefs and practices within the Roman Catholic Church. And we, we got the, we got the five solos that, that came out of that. John Stott says this. He says that God's power operates best in human weakness. God chose a weak instrument, Paul, to bring a weak message, the cross, to weak people, the socially despised. But through this triple weakness, the power of God was and is and still is displayed. Right? So Paul says, I was, I was with you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I was with you with weakness and fear and much trembling. I was dependent upon the Spirit. And I, I was determined to just preach Christ and Him crucified. The message of the cross is considered a weak message by the world. To see this, this powerful Messiah, this leader, shamefully die on this cross as a criminal, that is perceived as weakness. And Jesus embraced that descent from heaven to earth, to the cross, to the grave. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God has chosen the weak things of the world to, to put the shame, the strong, the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I love how the kingdom of God works. I love how, how God lifts up those who are lowly and poor and broken. And, and Jesus made statements like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we, we, see, we see within the kingdom of God breaking in the human history this great reversal. We see this, this kingdom paradox. God's power operates best in human weaknesses. And so let's look a little bit here at this thorn that the apostle Paul spoke about at the end of this chapter, or at the end of this section in chapter 12. Paul said this, he says, so, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, comma, my powers made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now notice the purpose that Paul highlights in this thorn. And, and theologians have debated about what specifically this thorn is. Was it a physical ailment? Uh, was it, was it bad sight? I mean, anybody who's experienced some kind of physical pain or struggle can relate to this idea of a, of a thorn. Of, of this affliction of being harassed, right? So a lot of theologians would, would, would lean towards that and point to that. Others might say that it was, um, it was these, these, these leaders, his critics, these false apostles 
who were troubling him and troubling the church and they were a threat to the health of the church. Others would say that about the Apostle Paul um, or, or or some kind of internal demonic spiritual warfare struggle that the Apostle Paul had. That's another another thought. Thankfully, thankfully, it's, he doesn't define what that thorn was and God in his sovereignty decided to leave that open because because those of us who've experienced the harassment and the pain and the struggle in this life of, of various types of trials and sufferings can relate to this and apply this very truth to our lives. The healing salve of my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. As you walk through that lowest, most dark and difficult time in your life. And though you plead in prayer, God, take it away. And you ask, why God, why? Why am I going through this? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Notice that, that Paul, Paul did pray. He did pray that God would remove this thorn from his flesh. He pleaded with the Lord three times. You would think, gosh, Jesus, why don't, you should take that thorn away. But there was purpose in it. God has these good and sovereign purposes for our lives that we don't always see and often we don't see when we're in the valley of despair and struggle and darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death. And it's it's later on when we're lifted up to mountaintops and to times of refreshing that we're able to look back and see the hand of God that was with us through these dark and difficult times. But never once... Does our Lord forsake us? And through the valley of despair and darkness, the dark night of the soul, He gives sufficient grace to sustain us. Now notice that the Lord did answer Paul's prayer. The Lord, Jesus answered His prayer. He pleaded three times, and like Jesus pleaded three times to the Father, if there's any way, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus in the garden wrestled to the point of uh, bloodshed, to, to his sweating blood. He had this turmoil within his soul. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful as unto death. And he's praying, he's wrestling with this, this internal pressure, this spiritual pressure that he's feeling as he's about to take on the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. And yet it was the will of the Father to bring him through those sufferings so that you and I might have eternal salvation. So that you and I might experience an eternity free of suffering and pain and sickness and death. So that you and I might have salvation and the Apostle Paul went through an experience like this. And Jesus, Jesus answered his prayer, but it wasn't like, it wasn't the way that he wanted Jesus to answer his prayer. Was Paul praying in a wrong way by asking Jesus to remove this from him? I think it was totally appropriate for Paul to ask that. Lord, take this away, please. Right? But, but oftentimes God may answer us in a way that that we, we don't think he would. And he says instead his answer was not, and his reply was, an answer was not to take the thorn away, but to give him sufficient grace to meet him there in that vulnerable place where Paul might have felt like he couldn't go on as he wrote about in Second Corinthians chapter 1 where he was despairing of life itself. And he says, this was, this was, this was so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves, but that we would rely on God who raises the dead. It's purposeful pain. Right? I've, I know I've talked about it before when my, my wife is, we, we went through a Bradley class to get coaching and training for delivering children. And it's, it's so fun. Like, come on, you know, and my, my little friend, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to be funny here. Um, it's not funny. Not as funny to the ladies, right, who have been through labor and delivery. But this phrase, purposeful pain, was very helpful to me. I hope it's helpful for my wife. (laughs) The coaches encouraged it, and the coaches reminded us, 
This is purposeful pain. Remember, with every one of these contractions that come, they get stronger, hurts, gets more intense, that there's purpose in that, that it's a part of the process of that baby being delivered. And it's, that's just, I think it's just helpful to be reminded of that. Now, may not be as helpful when you're in the middle of it, right? Um, but I think when we look back, when we look back, or, or when we're trying to find some hope in the midst of the pain, we can trust that God has purpose in it, redemptive value that it's never wasted. While we may not see the redemptive value, it's never wasted with him. Everything we experience in this life is filtered by a good and loving and sovereign heavenly father who cares intimately, tenderly for his children. And everything he brings our way is for our own good. And for the apostle Paul, it was to keep him from becoming conceited and puffed up. It helped keep him humble to have this thorn in the flesh. So here's, here's four, four purposes here. One, it reveals our spiritual condition. When we are experiencing pain and suffering like a thorn in the flesh, it reveals where we're at. Suffering has a way of exposing our hearts and showing us where we're really at. Now that's an opportunity for us to change. That's an opportunity for us to find what we need when our weaknesses are exposed and our sin is exposed, that's an opportunity for us to find the mercy and the grace that we need from Jesus when we're going through the fire. The fire purifies. It's to make us humble, to not rely on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. It's to, to draw us to Christ and help us rely on Him. You know, my wife, when, when we had the first, uh, I think two or three of the children and, and, um, just, there was just a struggle in the early days of raising those little ones. We had this Bible verse on the wall in our, in our girl's room. Second Corinthians 12, nine. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And my precious wife, as she would rock and care for those little ones, would look up in her rocking chair and see that scripture and be reminded that in the midst of the mundane and the challenges of motherhood, the grace of Jesus is sufficient for her to carry her through, no matter what she's going through. And that has been a lifeline for us. And I know for many of you, this truth, this scripture and the truth, the reality that it, that it contains has been a lifeline for you that Jesus meets us in the pain and he meets us in our weaknesses and he sustains us and he gives us what we need and he's not going to let any of it be wasted, but it's all for his glory and for our good, though we may have trouble seeing the good. And lastly, to display God's grace. Pain, the thorn, the, 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 this pain and suffering that we go through is to display God's grace, that His power in our weakness would be seen. And so let me close with a couple of points of application here. Avoid boasting in your strengths and your skills and your success. As if you're self-sufficient. None of us are. But sometimes we think arrogant, proud, independent thoughts internally, though we might not say it out loud. And if we do, we're like, whoa, did I say that? Like, man, that's not good. Lord, cleanse me. Avoid that kind of boasting in in your strengths and skills and success. And redirect it. Now, there has to be a way that we can talk about that and not have a false humility. There has to be a way that we can accept the compliment when somebody's like, that was a great job on that song you sang. Like, instead of just saying, it was all the Lord, or, you know, um, you know, yes, God gave you that, that gift, and yes, God gave you the ability to sing, to play, or to do whatever your occupation is to do, but it's, it's His grace working in and through you. 
And that's what the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's how Paul addressed the pride that could come his way if he were to start putting confidence in himself. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And God's grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more and more than the rest of the apostles. Now that sounds like a boast. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's a boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Boast in your weakness and boast of where God's strength has met you in your weakness. And give him the credit and him the honor. Now, I know our hearts are... It's, it, pride is very subtle and it creeps in and it's nasty, it's ugly. We want it out of our lives. And so here's, here's a couple of verses that could help us as we wrestle with pride. First Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, that's grace. Life is a gift and everything you have is a gift of grace from the hand of God. So recognize that and give him the honor and the glory for what he has done in and through you rather than taking credit for it and boasting about it. Second Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Next, be quick to admit and even boast in your weakness, knowing that Christ meets you there with his grace and his strength and receives glory through this. I, I, I just got to admit that, you know, I, I am slow to acknowledge my weaknesses. I'm quick to talk about those things I'm doing well in. I'm more prone to talk about those areas of life that are going good for me rather than the areas of life that are really hard and difficult and where I feel like I'm failing. But when I do, I find grace. I find the ability from God, one, acceptance from God, right? I, I'm not, my acceptance from God is not based on my performance. Neither is yours. It's based on grace. We are who we are by the grace of God. And so that should free us up to be able to acknowledge, yeah, I am weak, but thou art strong. Right? Jesus, keep me from all wrong. Y'all know that old hymn. Lastly, resist the use of worldly standards to measure your value and success. Rather, let scripture be the standard. Resist the worldly standards, the criteria of the world to evaluate what's successful, right? We as Christians have a different value system, a kingdom value system. And so we should boast in Christ alone. We should boast in our weaknesses. We should boast in the cross through whom we've been crucified to the world and the world to us. If you all would stand with me. And as Jenny comes up, I'd like for us to sing this, this last slide here, Gabe. This one line, Jenny's going to lead us in a song. How deep the Father's love for us. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Sing it again. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection.
Father, may that be true of us. May we be shored up in our confidence in who we are because of Jesus and freed up, freed up to boast in you and you alone, to glory in your name, to glory in the cross, to glory in our weaknesses. And find your strength, meet us there. Lord, you know the pain and the suffering represented right here in this room right now, in this season. And I pray that you would meet each family, each individual in their mourning, in their weakness, in their vulnerability, and reveal your tenderness your gentle and lowly heart. You are a God who is near the brokenhearted. You are a God who restores the brokenhearted. And so for any in that place in need of your healing love, presence and touch, would you meet your children. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to boast in you and you alone. Help us, God, to overcome the temptation when we're around others that we want to impress and think well of us. Help us to resist the temptation of arrogant boasting. Boasting of our plans, boasting of our accomplishments, boasting of our gifts, our experiences. May you be exalted in our lives, regardless of what happens in our life. Pleasant or painful, 